Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. Today's episode was originally produced and published by Pivot Parenting. This episode discusses various topics around beauty. If you're interested in learning more about how to talk to your kids about these topics, make sure and visit our website and take a look at Jennifer's How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex course. Enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to the podcast today. I have a super special treat for you. I am interviewing Jennifer Finlayson Fife, whom I adore, and she is a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional uh, professional counselor in Illinois. She has a PhD in counseling psychology from Boston College. She wrote her dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. She has taught in colleges. She coaches online. She has amazing courses. She is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she's basically super awesome. Hi, Jennifer. Thank Hi. you. And welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm super happy that you're here. Um, for those of you who haven't been dialed into my podcast for a while, Jennifer is on about a year ago and it was amazing. And so I wanted to have her back. <laughs> so thank Great. you. Sure. Um, um, and so today we're talking about beauty and sex appeal and modesty and anything um, kind of physical like that. I know that beauty can be vistas and paintings and architecture but we're going to focus on our bodies. Mm -hmm. That's your specialty, which I love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge fan. And as I've listened to when you teach, one thing that you commonly say that always catches me mm. is that people track us. It's particular yeah. when we're talking about our kids, they track us. And while they can't specifically articulate, like they catch on to things. Yes. Um, for for people, maybe my audience who isn't familiar with you, can you articulate what this tracking sure. business is? Sure. And this is really comes from the work of David Schnarch, who um, is a differentiation-based therapist who's done a lot of work around sexuality and, and trauma and all these things. Um, but one of the things that he says all the neurobiological research points to is that about the age of four in a neurotypical child, you become capable of mapping the mind of those around you. It's in a kind of early state at age four, but that's when you become capable of knowing that a parent or a sibling has a different theory of mind They or they have a theory of mind, that they have a view in their minds of life, of you. That's why at age four, one can start to lie and Four-year-olds' lies are adorable and not very, <laughs> not, very not, not very successful, right? But that's what they're playing with is mom thinks one thing and I can tell her something that maybe will make her think another thing. And so that's when they begin to understand and map the minds of those around them. It's a survival thing. It's about uh, mapping desire and mapping deception. So it's fundamental to survival. It's not necessarily pro-social. You can use the map of somebody's mind to do them well or to do evil, right? So right. you can 
In fact, in fact, sociopaths are rather good at mapping people's minds because they know how to exploit what people want. They know how to deceive effectively. But um, so that's a capacity. And so w- one reason why it really matters in terms of intimate relationships is that oftentimes people come to me and say, we have communication problems. Like my spouse doesn't understand me and I don't understand her or him. But the reality is usually that couples actually do understand each other quite well. They can map that you want something different than I want and that, or you're not willing to be honest with me and I can track that deception or at least track it enough to know that you're not trustworthy. That oftentimes there's too much intimacy not an absence of it. That is that what they can track is disrupting their sense of trust or equilibrium or security. And so this is also very true for kids that oftentimes, whether or not they even are talking about it to themselves, they are mapping the minds of their parents and their siblings, and it shapes their mind and how they relate to the world. And so it's biologically driven, it's survival driven, but it's a factor. And I think the more you know it's there, the more um, that you can, instead of like, I want to speak in my spouse's language so he knows he's loved, that's kind of this idea that the communication's not getting through as opposed to no, they already map me and what kind of person am I being and how do I impact the marriage? And what am I really about? And what do they see about me that I don't see? So it's a way of getting more clear within ourselves and even utilizing our relationships to see ourselves and our blind spots and our limitations more clearly. Yeah. Well, and I think kids are amazing at pointing that out to us because yes. they pair it back what they see and hear. And yes. we're shocked when they do it and we're like, oh snap, they got that from me. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Exactly. I sometimes told this story where my daughter, when she was about seven, she would whine a lot, you know? And so, and I would, I could see that it was a problem. I didn't like it that she whined. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to be you, you be me. And so I just like, was like, mom, I want this, I want that. And so, and so she thought it was kind of funny to see herself through my eyes. And then she said, okay, now I'm going to be you, you be, and she's like, now I'm going to switch. And she's like coloring. And she's like, you try to get my attention. I can't remember how she set this up, but I was like, mom, mom. And she just keeps coloring and saying, just a minute, just a minute. (laughs) So I could suddenly see myself. I'm like, oh my goodness, no wonder she's whining. Like I'd start whining right now too. (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. I love that. Um, Okay. So you work with adults, which is Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I talk to the parents of teens, but a lot of things that we learned in our childhood carry with us, like our ideas Mm -hmm. about beauty and um, the caveats of that, such as sex appeal and modesty and all of that. And, and we carry those with us if we aren't conscious. And then we can oftentimes pass either helpful or unhelpful belief paradigms to our Mm -hmm. children. So Mm -hmm. I just am curious, what are some of the common themes that you see in both your coaching and therapy practices that people still have from their childhood that either are serving them or not serving them? Anything around kind of these ideals, these beauty ideals? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them. I mean, I think one thing that 
some some people get is this this idea that my physical beauty, my physical appearance is highly linked to my value. So a lot of yeah young girls really learn that idea. Perhaps their mother was really focused on physical beauty. Perhaps their mother was critical of them not looking good or whatever, but they have, some have really linked this sense of my value is about my appearance. And this aesthetic is deeply linked to uh, me. So that can be obviously very, a very limited view of oneself and one that can kind of, you know, in reality, as you age, at least if you're going to base the idea of beauty on a 25 year old body, which many people do, right. your ability to feel like you can fulfill that is going to be challenged and compromised, but also that it kind of gets around this question of whether or not it's like the whole person that establishes beauty. The beauty is much deeper than our physical appearance. It's like who we are. That's about beautiful. Yeah. I like to think about beauty kind of almost in layers. Like you have yeah. the skin deep, which is what everybody sees, right? Mm-hmm. It's our clothing, our hair, mm-hmm. our skin, if it's, you know, our complexion, our mm-hmm. size, mm-hmm. Um, our height. Mm-hmm. And then we have kind of like, you go past the skin and you go into the muscles and that's kind of like our actions, the things that we say or do and mm-hmm. sort of, um, how kind we are to other people or mm-hmm. like a little, a little deeper. Yeah, sure. And then we have like our high heart and mind, which mm-hmm. is who we are at our core. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's beautiful because sometimes you can meet somebody that's seemingly very attractive, skin deep yep. and you get to know them and you're like, Oh, not beautiful. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. I'm ready to move on. Like that's yeah. not an enriching relationship for me. Right. Maybe somebody who you wouldn't notice in a crowd and you get to know them and they're the most beautiful person ever. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, yes, absolutely. So just the idea, one false idea is basing beauty on the skin deep superficial yeah, as opposed to character and who you are and the radiance that comes from living an aligned life, being at peace with yourself, the eminence or the, you know, the, the kind of the way that that shows through in the light of your eyes in your, in your countenance. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's highly valuable. I mean, I think going back to your other question, one of the main themes, there's this kind of superficial idea or being valued for, it can be just as toxic as being valued for what you produce, you know, right. or how successful you are in some conventional sense can also be a very limiting idea. But I think there's also in the people I work with often this terror or fear of sexuality and being sexy or being attractive, that somehow you're cheapening yourself somehow to embrace that is to, you know, take a walk with the devil in a sense, like you're kind of moving into something dark or scary. So I often see a lot of people who, who feel like they have to kind of hide their sexuality, hide their beauty, um, hide their attractiveness. Yeah. And that that's its own plaguing idea. Yeah. An interesting story. I, I think obviously we both live in the U S um, I have some listeners abroad, but I feel like in here is very sexualized more so than other places. We went Mm -hmm. pre COVID. We went um, to Europe and we were on a beach and Europe, a lot of the ladies don't wear a lot. Yeah. And I had my children with me and I'm like, Oh, when we first got, I'm like, Oh, don't look, don't look. 
And it was toward the end of our trip and we were at a beach and it was a crowded beach. And there was this woman and she was probably in her twenties, but she being around the street, I don't think anybody would have looked twice, but she just had like very scant bikini bottoms on. That was it. She had Mm -hmm. long hair and she would, by most people's terms, be considered plus size. Mm-hmm. And I just remember walk, watching her walk into the beach and how delighted she was and mm. how happy she seemed. Yeah. She was beautiful. Right. And there was nothing sexual about it, right? Right. I was there with my husband and kids. And, and I just, I kind of right. That, the joy and the that, freedom in her. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And that she just embraced her body. Yeah. As I couldn't is. agree more. She's enjoying yeah. the sun on her skin and the water on yes. her feet. And like, it just was so beautiful. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you know, I'm all for modesty, but we can talk about what that means in a sense, like flaunting sexuality, reducing yourself to your sexuality, sexualizing everything. It, 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 it's not great for us. And if modesty is sort of about a kind of self-respect, I think it's wonderful, but I agree completely that we have a more puritanical notion of the body and sexuality that is is not how most Europeans think. There's just a basic comfort. And in and the paradox is it's like less sexual. It's more just about being embodied. Yeah, that is we're the I ones mean. we're the ones who are turning it into everything meaning sex, right? So our our fear of it or desire to get away from it actually ends up sort of sexualizing everything. Where, you know. Uh, yeah, in Europe, it's, it is much more about just being comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's also about mapping. This woman's not working the beach. She's just showing up and you see her delight and her joy and her comfort in her own skin. And there's like, there is a deep beauty in that comfort and in that joyfulness. Yeah. And yes. I, you know, I did this couples tour in Italy and a lot of these people are coming from the inner mountain West and we're going into all this Renaissance art and yeah. I think some at first what were a little, mean? yeah, a little bit like, wow, you know, like what the heck, you know, <laughs> but by the end you see this, I mean, of course we're talking about sexuality throughout the trip, but there's just this deepening, almost embrace of their own embodiment and their own sexuality in a very healthy way, not this sexualized overdone version of sex, but this kind of deeper integration of our embodiment. And I think that's really really fundamental to our strength. I think that we too quickly are afraid of our embodiment, too quickly are afraid of sexuality and therefore give it this negative power that it need not have. Yeah. Which our children map in us. That's and right. even though we say, oh, your body's a temple and it's beautiful and all yeah. these things, if they're mapping something different, mm-hmm. what do they actually pay attention to? Right. Exactly. Mom's freaked out telling me how beautiful and good my body is. You know, they're, they're, they're getting that other message. Like, why is she so anxious on a bathing suit? But yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's right. I love the irony because as I've gotten older, I'm 43, things aren't the way that they once were. And I'm so much more comfortable in a bathing suit than I was. Yes. Isn't that great? I, it has nothing to do with how I look. It's all in my head. That's right. That's right. That, I mean, a lot of people think th- the best sexuality is 20 to 30 when your body, lo- no, those are the most insecure people. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like in your fifties where you, you don't care anymore. You're not trying to keep no. everybody happy with you that you feel the most freedom to be who you are and accept who you are. And it's a wonderful yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Um, another kind of point that I want to ask you about and maybe discuss is, um, I don't know if this is actually a term. I kind of just came up with it. Mm-hmm. Boxed beauty, which is how society kind of boxes up and packages us yeah. something to like buy into. Right. It's, and it, it constantly shifts and it's yes, always it does. You know, it went from yes. like when you and I were growing up, heroin chic was the way to go. You had to yeah, look really so bad. Sick. And now you have to have the perfect hourglass, like the Kardashians. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there were some trends in between there, mm-hmm. you know, wherever the focus is. But um, yep. I, I find it fascinating that mm-hmm. this game. This yeah. Played. Yeah. Well, I think I do think there's something somewhat innate um, about wanting to be beautiful, wanting to be desirable, yeah. wanting to be recognized as, um, yeah, as desirable um, to the opposite sex, if you're heterosexual, right? So I think that that's normal. And I think it's particularly in the feminine form. Um, but when you have very rigid notions of what is what constitutes beauty, for example, you know, back in the early 19th century, character was highly linked to beauty. What was one's character? What kind of person? You know, where now we have these very superficial notions and with social media, even more so. And what I think a lot of industries do is they exploit that inherent desire by giving you these unreachable ideals and then saying, we have the product that will help you get there. We have the thing that will help you have it. And so it's just exploiting a natural desire and limiting it to something that will always make you feel insufficient. Yeah. And then we watched our moms partake of that. And it's 10 times since then. And our kids are watching us partake in that or other moms, you know, other women. and, And then they think that they have to create beauty from something outside of themselves they have to buy the things to feel beautiful. right that's right the lip injections and right exactly and so it's endless and it never and I think a lot of times the more we invest in that the more insecure we feel because we become very aware of and attuned to what's not beautiful or what's not conventional and then it just actually increases your focus on it yeah Mm -hmm. well and when we're grasping for something outside of ourselves to fill an inner void it yeah, for sure. If it's about that, it's absolutely not achievable mm-hmm. yeah. because you're trying to solve an inner problem through an externality. Yeah. So in your practice, have you seen women alter these beliefs to something more healthy? Like, I'm sure my listeners are like, great. I I can see that I'm doing this in this one way. What do I do? Like, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in both directions, I could talk about it. So I think that you know, I'm often talking to women and men because I think men actually do this to themselves yeah. in a slightly different way. It's not necessarily as physical for men, but it can be more about, you know, how much you accomplish or how much money you make. And there's these yep. ways of measuring self. But I think it's about rather than the endless and um, unfruitful pursuit of trying to earn your sufficiency outside of yourself to recognize that you have control over how you're going to relate to this. So a lot of people begrudge and hate the fact that there's this narrow ideal out there, but then in a way give credence to it by trying resentfully perhaps to fulfill it. 
Yeah. Rather than I have a decision to make around whether or not I'm going to worship this God, <laughs> give so much to it. Now I'm not saying like, Hey, just make one decision and it's good because there's all kinds of messaging out there in social media and magazines yeah. and TV about what constitutes beauty. And I also don't dismiss wanting to care for yourself. I think that's, that is a function yeah. of self-respect, but like, what does it mean to really embrace my body, to relate to myself in a way that's um, respectful of me is embracing of me and my beauty. But, um, you know, I read a book. I can't, I think it's Lita Green. I think it's her name. The author is called Embracing Your Inner Hotness. <laughs> and I love the book. I mean, because she's writing about this. It's okay to be attractive. It's okay to be desirable. And it's okay to be that spark of energy. But think about, and it doesn't matter about caring about the superficial to some degree, but don't neglect that inner spark, that inner sense of self. That yeah. really is where the beauty emanates from. And so it's not a denial of desirability, but it's expanding a notion of desirability to be about really stepping into that life force, stepping into your strength and being in relationship to yourself and your embodiment in a respectful way. So to, to make the question that you asked a little more succinct, that it's more about helping women see that they're tracking it, but if they're being complicit in it unwittingly, they're reinforcing that external power to determine them. And instead for them to reclaim it and to make some decisions about how they're going to be in relationship to themselves. You know, some women feel like, well, if I feel like I put weight on my thighs or whatever, I just don't feel sexy. So I don't feel like I can have sexual pleasure or I'm not deserving of it or something. And it's just a deeply kind of self-betraying belief. They come by it honestly, right? Like it's been sort of fed them this idea. Yeah. But then they have a decision around, do I really want to participate in that idea? Or do I want to be the kind of friend to me that I would want from my spouse? Acceptance and kindness and allowing myself to be human and expanding my sense of feminine beauty. And, you know, I am beautiful because of the person that I am and what I bring to this marriage and this life and so on. So that you're, you're changing that frame within you. And maybe making decisions about what you consume outside that might pull push for the wrong idea. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. It it articulates very well kind of um, my journey. I couldn't agree with you more. I like buying clothes and shoes. Mm -hmm. Sure, awesome. Um, I like getting my hair done. You yes, know, those are all fun things. And yes. I agree. There's nothing wrong with that, and it is self respect and going all the way down in deciding when I just decided that I like me. Yes, exactly. And that I wanted to love me and take care of me. Yes. And it, it aligned all of those other things for being okay with my body, how it looked as it aged and being, that's right. Being more so right. Like we, obviously, I think all of us would probably maybe keep our brains, but swap in our bodies for a younger decade, but mm -hmm. that's not an option. So, right. So then we just get to choose to either love or dislike our That's right. And there's no upside to disliking how we look. We think right. that it's important and that it will cause us to change, but really loving our body creates a better and oh, more lasting change. Yes, and exactly. And just 
like expressing gratitude to your body, I think is really important. It's like, you know, I'm in my fifties, things are going south, (laughs) but I am so grateful to this body for all that it allows me to do for the children. It's allowed me to have for just the pleasure it affords my life. You know, I'm just so grateful to it and I'm not going to diss it for being 50 years into this project and that's okay. Um, and so, um, it's just like treat my body with the respect and care it deserves for doing so much for me, allowing me to do and experience so much. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And when my girls, I like to tuck them in and, um, I have two little ladies that still like a tucking and I'll, you know, rub their legs or arms and, and say, Oh, what strong arms you have. They work so hard during the day and look at your little legs they carry you everywhere. And they do such a yes. good job. Even yeah. though I always tell them they're beautiful and things. I think it's also really important to. Yes. Express the other values that their body has. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So another point that I thought might be interesting to discuss is, um, and we've kind of already hit on this sort of, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we have beauty with judgment Mm -hmm. where maybe we're, we're, um, pitting people against each other or us against somebody else, um, versus beauty with celebration. Mm. And the, my story kind of in Spain goes back to this too, because there were so many, naked people, men and women. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, the, and I would just see these women and I would just think good for you. Like, yes. And, and maybe some listeners are like, yeah, I'm not there yet, which is fine. You don't have to be there yet. Sure. Um, and I but was, no, I've absolutely admired. I've, I've had the same experience and been oh. absolutely admiring of the freedom. Yeah. And knowing that I wouldn't be there you know, yet. I mean, to be that free and comfortable with oneself. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was this row of maybe three or four elderly ladies and just their breasts were in their lap and they were having such a grand time. And I just was like friend goals right there. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But, but just celebrating each other's bodies, I have found to be super powerful. And yes. it can also be somebody completely covered up. It's not necessarily a show of skin, but just, and I think this helps us to step out of the box as well. This box beauty to yes. recognize that beauty comes in so many forms and it, it right. um, it's meant to be celebrated and not to be yes. paired against one another. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think if you, if you were to, so first of all, I think our culture does it. We, you know, sexiest man alive is one version, you know, beauty pageants. It's kind of this competitive idea of yeah. who's the ideal, who's the ideal aesthetic. Uh-huh. And it's just, I mean, first of all, who would want to have only one kind of chocolate cake for life? You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you think about food, there's just so many, so much variety in the tastes and textures and pleasures of food. There's just so many ways to enjoy being human and caring for one another. And, um, and I think what's also true and what you're speaking to is that 
while I think we're somewhat wired towards youthful bodies because because that's where reproduction from just a reproductive wiring frame, there's something to that because the healthy young person is going to reproduce most easily that there's another mechanism working. That's not just about immediate reproduction, but this sense of beauty through meaning, right? So I find my husband very, very attractive. He's 63 years old. He's from a just purely aesthetic point of view, not as attractive as he was when I married him, if you're just going to say superficially, but the meaning of this person in my life and, you know, even his body, right. Meaning just the body that I can hug and be close to uh, is so the meaning is so high and no other body represents all that meaning of the good person that he is. And so that's the beauty of it. You see that beauty and attractiveness through who they are. And thank goodness for that. (laughs) For sure. Otherwise we'd all be single by the time we're old. Yeah, that's right. Um, But with our kids, it's really important too. And maybe you've seen this in your practice. um, Comparing or judging. Like, oh, you need to look more like your sister. Oh yeah. Who takes better care of herself or... Why yeah. don't you look more like gosh know. anybody doing any of that to their kids? That's terrible. You never, never like you should look more like your friend. You should do this. It's just it, it's it's setting them up to be in competition to earn your love and your respect, and yeah. which very I damaging practice. I'm sure you've seen in yours. Yeah, right. It's just terrible. It's a terrible idea. And I mean, I, yeah. As I've coached on it, they think that they have their child's best intention in heart, right? Yeah. Like, this child is going to be ridiculed or like, let's say it's weight, right? This is mm-hmm. one that I've seen before. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit bigger than everybody in their class. I need mm-hmm. to get them to lose weight so that they're socially acceptable, mm-hmm. so that they're liked and so they're not teased, mm-hmm. which can feel like it's important. Mm-hmm. But really what you're doing is you're not accepting them first. Like yeah. you're beating all the other kids in class by saying you're not good enough. Like let's, yes. which feels like that's the way to create a change in their habits, like eating habits or lifestyle or yeah. whatever. But it, right. But that's shame-based and fear-based. Yeah. yeah. And they'll then it drives food and they'll, it drives obsession and it drives immoderation. And so you actually impair the mechanism that allows them to be in a respectful relationship to themselves. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I want, we all want our children to be in a respectful relationship with themselves and their bodies and the way they treat their bodies and the, and the relationship to food and the relationship to sexuality, to have a fundamental self-respect in those choices. But the mechanism is showing them that teaching them that self-respect through how you relate to them as a whole person. You know, a parent can often be concerned about how does my child look? How do they reflect on me? If my child's overweight, maybe it's just about that she's going to get teased, but maybe there's this other thing, like I feel ashamed. So a lot of times parents without even tracking it in themselves are trying to shape their child into something that reflects well on them and their own self-rejection gets projected onto their child. Oh yeah. I think their child's carrying it. Yep. Yeah, whether it's weight or getting into a certain college or if they go on a mission or where right. they're married. I think right. that that's a common theme. 
or sexuality, the emerging sexuality of the daughter or the son, but often the daughter. And so then the parent, uh, whether a father or mother is projecting their anxiety, their shame, their fear onto that emerging sexuality. And it gets really um, impaired in the integration into that child's psyche. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just am curious as to how that looks in repairing that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like let's Mm -hmm. say some parents are like, my mom did that to me. I guess I've been doing it to my child. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a diet obsessed family Mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever that is, whether it's like you have to go to an Ivy league school or you have to Mm -hmm. have your kids on the front row at church, like looking Mm -hmm. to the nines, like whatever Mm -hmm. that is, how can they, do you have any advice on, obviously I can coach you too people listening. (laughs) What is your advice, Jennifer, for people who want to change that paradigm? Yeah. I mean, I I think it starts with a self-confrontation. And what I mean by that is a self-awareness. Oh my goodness. I've been, I've been trying to solve something for myself in the way I'm relating to my child. And sometimes we can't see it until we see some limitation or challenge emerging in our child, that it helps us to see what we've been worshiping, what we've been trying to create or solve. When we get very focused on the superficial, whether it's what school they get into, how they look, um, whether or not they're religious enough, whatever it is, it um, is teaching the child that they exist to reinforce you. And it also exposes, wow, I'm that insecure. <laughs> this is for me, right. at least what I've thought yeah. that I've needed to sort of prove something about me through the way my child appears. Yeah. And I, and I'm using my child. I mean, this is really something I've seen in myself at times. Like I am doing to my child what I would ne- which I rejected that I could feel happening with my father towards me. I'm doing it unwittingly. And so to wake up to it and to see it allows you to self-correct, right? So, and so, and it that's often easier to say than to do, but if you keep track of it in yourself and you can be explicit about it with your child, you know, I, my son, very bright, and I just wanted him to kind of be a demonstration of, capacity to kind of deal with an insecurity in me around that. And I don't think I could, I don't think I could see that I was doing it until the evidence of that pressure was showing up in him. And, you know, for me, it was to see it, to see I was a part of the problem and then to release him from it. Like I can see that I've done that. And I thought it was in your interest, but it was serving my interests, not yours. And I'm sorry, like I recognize that. So kind of making it explicit allows the child to begin to disentangle their mind from your mind and to start sorting out what matters to me. And my, I matter enough to my mother or my father to, for them to self-confront for me, for them to face themselves and to grow something up for my benefit. Right. So even parents correcting themselves is a deep message of love. Like you matter for me to face myself. A lot of my adult children I work with, they can handle the fact that their parents made mistakes, 
What can be very hard is if a parent won't acknowledge, recognize, or shift something that's causing the child or adult child pain. And so, and often it's our sense of self that's linked to that, you know? So for me, it's like, I've got to grow up and keep what's my problem, my problem, and not make it my son's and let him work out his own life and his own relationship to these questions. But it takes time because it can sneak up on you in moments and you can go and do those dumb things and then be like, wait, sorry, (laughs) that was the old pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've walked miles in those shoes as well. Yes. I definitely get exactly what you're saying. Um, Just one other quick question Mm -hmm. that I want to discuss really quickly. I know we're, Mm -hmm. we're chatting it up, but Sometimes I feel like, especially as a woman, our physical appearance can be very powerful. Yeah. And um, we can use it as a way to control those around us to some degree. Like I try to do that. Like I'm going to stay really hot so that my husband doesn't stray. Yeah. Or like for our children, I want to dress or look a certain way so that my kids won't be embarrassed embarrassed and they'll bring their friends over, or maybe you want Mm -hmm. some kind of, um, validation from their friends or from the other, the friend's parents, or Mm -hmm. it can get kind of messy, but, Mm -hmm. um, yes. Like if, if you have natural physical beauty or you know how to work it, you can use your beauty to, to get a kind of social power. Yeah. Whether in a, in a relationship or in, you know, even relationships with peers and so on. So absolutely people yeah. can do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like, um, our physical appearance is kind of a, I think it's one of Satan's favorite ways to get at us. Like if he yeah. can't get us to, you know, commit murder, he's like, okay, I'll go for something easier, something a little <laughs> more sneaky. Yeah. And the irony is, is that he goes after our agency and our bodies Mm-hmm. And often uses them against one another, you know, use our agency to mutilate our bodies or to mm. hate our bodies or, um, mm. but those are the two things that he doesn't have. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And I think it's just kind of this, um, jealousy that he wants to destroy something that he'll never get. Mm-hmm. And I think that using our physical appearance is one of those ways that Satan kind of twists it and distorts it and uses us to mess with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, let me just think how to think about this for a second. I think that you're absolutely right that it's a two-edged sword, what you're talking about. So you can be shamed for not looking good enough. That's one immoderate view, you know, like or basically for looking too good. Exactly. And that's the other side of it. That's the other side of it. Like, so you can be shamed for being sexy and attractive. Um, th- another version of immoderate is you can like not care, not try, which is also a kind of disrespect of the body perhaps. But then the other one that you're saying is you can use physical beauty to exploit and to kind of have power over so you can use the validation seeking, how to yeah. say it. You can use the fact of the power of your physical beauty to basically take advantage or to, in some ways, be disrespectful of others and yourself through that yeah. power. Yeah, kind of manipulative. 
Right. It's a little bit like if you have a very beautiful child, it's like they're being born with a million dollars. And so they like have this power. And yeah. how do you teach them to be in relationship to that in a moderate way and to not use it to their detriment or the detriment of someone else? How do you teach them to value the inner yeah. and to kind of cleave to their values when they have this other power that they could use and that is getting reinforced in them? Because yeah. if, if a child's particularly beautiful, they're, they're getting told all the time that they get more social credibility through it, especially for females. Yeah. So I'm just going back to your original question. So, you know, I, I think that sometimes parents handle that by shaming the body or shaming the beauty. And of course, that's not the right way. Right. It's like, it's just not making the fact of beauty be so important. It does not that it's not real or that it doesn't matter, but that you're not making it matter too much, not matter more than character and who you are, knowing that physical beauty is always changing and not a constant. So you want them to be anchored into what really they have. Um, You also want them to be respectful of others through their sexuality. The sexuality is great. Your emerging sexuality is a wonderful thing but don't lead out with it. Don't have it be the way that you engage people because you debase yourself and them. If you use this kind of easy validation as a connection point, as opposed to the core of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And that goes back to the kind of the layers that we need to develop all of those layers. We don't want to neglect our appearance, but we also need to um, say kind things that beautiful right. things and become, you know, a highly right integrity driven person. person. That's right. Um, and another thing too, is I think just celebrating the beauty because a lot of times, yes. you know, hundred years ago, they might not have been considered beauty. It would have yeah. been somebody else that they're That's right. right. And so just celebrating, I honestly, yes, I love seeing other women succeed. I love when they are comfortable in their skin. Doesn't matter what they look like. I just love, I have found so much joy and so much more um, self-esteem when I genuinely am cheering on other humans. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I agree with you. And, And expanding our notion of beauty. Yeah. And then celebrating beauty in all its forms. Yeah. Because there is so just the fact of existence of people that care, that love, it is beautiful (laughs) just to be alive and to be striving and to be caring about the people around you is an inherent beauty. And to be celebratory of beauty in all its forms is a wonderful way to have joy in one's life. Um, And like to this idea of the layers, I, I would say like, there's nothing just to reinforce this point, there's nothing wrong with the first layer. There's nothing wrong with being hot, even as long as that is a self-respecting and respecting of others, that it's in the context of being deeply respectful. Right. So there's nothing wrong with our sexuality and our sexual desirability, as long as it's not degrading us or another person in any way. Yeah. And I think too, like even sex appeal or hotness, that's so subjective. Yes. Right. What, yes. what one person thinks, because beauty can be, it can be a thought. You can feel beautiful. You yes. can act like you feel beautiful. Yes. Come beautiful. Like all of these things we can model for our children. Um, and they're all good. 
Yes, exactly. And right. So and just going back to the idea of hot meaning in the right context with, you know, in your marriage, you can play with that idea because it's deeply respectful and not being used to extract somebody else's approval or validation or whatever and work against yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when people shy away from beauty, kind of tying in modesty a little bit, they're, they're shying away from their beauty or their sexuality yes. or wanting yes. to make their child because that's right. they're trying to, they're afraid of it. Other people's thoughts. That, yes. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So no. that's exactly right. So there, that's the other immoderate version, which I'm afraid of this sexuality. So I'm trying to hide it, cover it up. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid I will be unsafe if, yeah. you know, if my sexuality is evident and what we end up kind of being afraid of is the body and sexuality as opposed to how we're in relationship to both and whether or not that's driven by respect for self and other. Yeah. And I love how you talk about it too, because you're not even considering other people's interpretations, which is how we should all think. Right. right. If we're comfortable in our body and how we're dressing it and, and treating it, other people are in charge of, of how they handle their sexuality. How, of, well, yes. And how they perceive ours. Yes. How exactly how they're in relationship to you. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And you, you know, you do a lot in terms of this mapping, you transmit a lot of messaging about how you are in relationship to yourself. Right. So you know, if you're trying to get someone to approve of you sexually, that's going to be telegraphed rather than I am comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable in my body. I have no apologies for who I am. That is in and of itself a self-respecting message, but it also telegraphs it to people around you and And it it makes it harder for them to. Yeah. And it's nice to know that for our kids that can look however way we're comfortable, right? That's right. Basketball shorts and a t-shirt because that's right. what makes you comfortable in your body versus whatever Absolutely. else. It's Absolutely. less important than our child seeing their parent um, at ease and having a good time and not worried about um, that's right. their physical. Right. It's back to that mind mapping thing. They can map that, you know, a lot of times I work with clients that have a lot of anxiety about sex, but they don't remember explicit messages, but they knew that their mother or father was very anxious about it. And they were just picking up on these subtle things versus parents, uh, clients that were with who are very comfortable with sexuality. And so were their parents. So they just were picking up all the messages. When dad would kiss mom, she wouldn't pull away. She would lean in, you know, mom was comfortable being attractive mom, you know, whatever. So they are just getting those messages, whether or not they even think about them consciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Okay. I fear I've kept you too long. Do you have any final gems of wisdom on how we model beauty for our family? And then well, maybe, maybe just to reinforce what you're saying. Like, I, I agree with you that beauty is so much connected to our depth of being and both our ability to radiate it and also to experience it and see it in others. And the more at peace we are with ourselves, the more able we are to love others, the more that beauty is evident. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the physicality of it. But I think the more that we recognize that the source is in this, the kind of depth of beauty is in 
superior place um, that the broader and wiser our understanding of beauty is. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with youthful beauty. It's its its own preciousness um, and its own wonderful reality. Um, but just one aspect of beauty and one aspect of the experience of appreciating beauty in all its forms. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that we're all beautiful in our own way because God made us. Yeah, And we look around at, you know, plants and trees and rivers and landscapes, and they're all super unique. And so it makes sense that we would be too. Right. So much of appreciating beauty is in the way we see more than what we do. You know, sometimes some, you know, one of the things I sometimes do to just kind of focus myself is to imagine this is the last time, the last time I'm touching my husband, the last time I'm hugging my daughter, you know, like it just kind of brings the presence and the beauty of the moment to the surface. And the other day I was exercising and I was like, Oh, I don't want to be here. Like I felt tired. And (laughs) and so I just did that. I'm like, just imagine as if this were the last time I get to exercise. And so I was looking at about it. (laughs) Well, I actually, it, it did, it did actually make me embrace it more. Like it feels good to move my body. I like moving my body. And I was looking at this brick wall and then I was like, that brick is so beautiful. And I mean, it, it really is, but it's like you stop seeing sometimes. And sometimes when you focus yourself in on what's right around you, there's, there's enormous beauty around us all the time, but we move so much into thinking about the future or the past or the whatever that we're not taking in what is so remarkable all around us, uh, all the beauty that's there for us. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. If anybody wants to learn about your amazing courses or any upcoming trips or how to work with you, how do they go about finding you? So the best way is just go to my website, which is finlaysonfife.com. And I have my podcast archive there. And then I have five online courses that are primarily geared to LDS um, individuals and couples around sexuality and relationships and also how to talk to your kids about sex. So you can find them on the website. And I also have a Facebook group if people want, you know, to learn from other people who've been taking the courses and so on um, called Ask an LDS uh, Marriage and Relation, Marriage and Sexuality Therapist. So, yeah. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Thank you so, so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. We'll talk to you next time. Great. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.